Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Danny Cannell. That's Bud Elliott. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and all across that 24-7 sports podcast YouTube network. Also on Facebook, uh, as Tom Fernelli is telling our viewers right there, there is a like button. You're looking at it. Smash that like, subscribe, jump in the chat, come and hang out. Uh, thank you, Daniel. No, we're uh, I'm good with my parole officer right now. I am uh, allowed to come and participate in this podcast. Been all good on my check-in so far, but no, we, we take this uh, one day, one week at a time. Very fun show on tap for you today. A little bit later in the show, we're going to take a look at the you know upcoming season, maybe the season after. We're looking at teams on the rise and specifically uh, teams that could arrive a little earlier than expected. We'll talk about what arrive means on a team-by-team basis and you know, why we think some of these teams might be set to exceed expectations, at least in the immediate future. But first, uh, we turn our attention to the ongoings in Destin, Florida, where the SEC spring meetings are underway. They got all the coaches together. We did not have any chairs uh, lifted off. We did not have any tables broken. It, it seems to be, at least according to Ole Miss coach Lane Kiffin, uh, quote, pretty normal in terms of the relations between all those coaches. Uh, another interesting detail, and we're going to get into you know some of the specifics on this, including you know Nick Saban's comments, name, image, and likeness takes. But I like this. Uh, you see, Lane Kiffin said that you know w- when you're sitting in a room together, and, and I'm paraphrasing here. He said everybody was, you know, a little bit more normal. It's kind of like texting where he compared it to the press conferences. He said these coaches are more willing to say things at press conferences than they are to say to each other's faces in the same way that if you're a little keyboard cowboy, you're ready to pop off in a way that you might not be in person. So I I, I like the idea that these coaches uh, seem to do get a little bit of a rise out of uh, the microphone, the camera and the like. But at first, you know, big, big piece of this is the the future of the SEC schedule. So uh, very quickly, we are essentially down to two different models. The SEC is either going to move to eight conference games per year or nine conference games per year. The uh, eight-game model, it would be a one permanent rival, then seven rotating opponents through the conference. The nine-game model would be three permanent rivals with six rotating opponents. And all of this has to do with the moment that Texas and Oklahoma joined this league, giving the SEC 16 teams. So, and we've collected a lot of information. We've collected a lot of notes coming out of Destin. Uh, do you think that there is the uh, one model that you prefer? And we're going to get into like why different schools like different models, but as a, as like a viewer, 
You know, like Tom, as a viewer, what would you, uh, as a fan of college football, what would you prefer for the SEC to do as it moves forward? I want 10 games, but nine, I think, is where they're going to go. And I think that, I mean, there's the discussion between the two, and we'll get into it more. But I, I, I think nine is the most logical option because once you've got 16 teams in your conference, like you can't just play eight games. And if you do the one rivalry, you know, pod, whatever the heck they're going to call it, it's the same thing. And then seven rotating. Sure, you get through everybody every two years or so. So you're guaranteeing at least the player, if he shows up and comes to your school for three years, is going to play at least everybody once. So that's fine. But you're still going to have situations where you're going too long without seeing anybody. It's going to destroy rivalries. And because it's like... For some of the schools, if you're Alabama, you've got more, Auburn's not your only rival. You've got Tennessee, you've got you know LSU, you've got other schools that you care about, and all these schools like they've been playing together for a long time. Rivalries have been created; they are a big part of what keeps this sport going and what generates interest in this sport. Like we talk about the playoff, one of the reasons we need to expand is to keep more fan bases interested late in the season. There's always one game late in the season that every fan base is interested in, whether they're 10 and 2 or they're 2 and 10. It's their rivalry game. And you could be threatening to take some of those away, which would create less interest in the regular season game. So I think that right now they're decided between two, but I think the decision's been made. They're just trying to, you know, be as gentle as possible before going to nine. Tom. I will sit here today and guarantee you that they are not going to mm -hmm. go eight games with just one rival. They're going to go to nine, and they're going to have three protected rivalries. And the reason I know this is because they only – Greg Sankey himself said, we are only considering these two options. The one isn't really an option. Yeah. So you're telling me you're not going to play Alabama-Tennessee every year if you stay with eight with one protected rival? You're not going to play Auburn-Georgia? Because I assume you're not going to drop Florida, Georgia. No. You're not going to play Bama LSU every year. Here's one for the new guys. We're going to keep Red River, I'm pretty sure, because Disney's going to want that property. That means you're not going to play Texas versus Texas A&M every year. Disney's going to be like, mm, okay, so this is not really a choice. And if you think about it, the teams that would want to stay at eight are primarily the teams that largely need to win their non-conference games to make bowls. So not every year, but often enough, you know, Old Miss, Mississippi State, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, and Missouri. Now, I'm sure everybody's vote counts equally in the SEC. But if maybe if it doesn't, right? Yeah, so I was that, say, that, like, don't you need like air quotes or sarcasm? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> equally. All right. So I, I counted up the votes. Disney, one, two, three, four, five. Alabama be six. Georgia, seven. <laughs> LSU, eight. Florida, I think once, even though Florida has to play FSU, I still think they're probably more of the you know three plus six model. Texas A and M, I think would prefer to play three versus six, but I don't know. Like Jimbo does like a really cake non conference schedule when he can get it. Uh, Texas Oklahoma, Arkansas, I think is sort of on the fence there maybe, but I, I, there's no way they're they're going to elect to go one plus seven in the SEC when they just signed this brand new contract. With ABC, ABC is going to want these better matchups, and they're not going to want to give up all these great rivalry games that people tune into, even if one of the teams that year isn't any good. A lot of these games are big just because of of what they've been. You know, the South's oldest rivalry, or Deep South, I guess, with Auburn, Georgia, for instance. So, I don't think it's actually a choice. Sorry, those couple of schools I listed. I think you're going to get outvoted here, and I think it's pretty obvious. 
I agree with everything you guys just said, including what Tom said about I'd prefer 10. Um, Mm -hmm. The other thing, though, I would be doing, though, if I'm the SEC, and I think this is why they're even throwing it out there, the one in seven idea, um, is because they're like, hey, this is going to make it harder on us. What are you? What is everybody else going to do? I think that's probably why this discussion is even being had. And you mentioned Disney, the worldwide leader. What type of pressure are you going to put on them to do that as well? Because I do think it does start to become an issue, especially we know the SEC loves to brag about stats. I mean, you know, every every accomplishment they've had, bowl eligible teams is one of them. And they love their teams going bowling. And if you can't get to that magic number because you don't have four cupcakes to go through, it's gonna be an it's gonna be a challenge. So I think they're probably using this debate to really try to, and I give them credit for it. I hope everybody follows their lead. I hope, you know, and I, the Alliance has been talked about, what are they going to do? Hopefully it is scheduling. And I hope, I hope the ACC follows, does the same. And I hope that we still put 10 power five games on the schedule as well. Like that's why I actually appreciate Florida keeping Florida state, South Carolina keeping Clemson, you know, some of these other, you know, rivalry games with other conferences, let's keep those intact. Then we get 10 power five games. That's awesome for college football fans. Yeah, I feel like like you mentioned them, bud. You, I, I, I think you're right with the schools that are definitely for the seven plus one. But I feel like South Carolina is the most obvious. Well, duh, they want seven plus one because they already play Clemson every single year. And if you look, if they go to like a three rivalry thing. Two of their three rivalry games are probably going to be Florida and Georgia. <laughs> so South Carolina is going to be getting Florida, Georgia, and Clemson every single year. So of course they want to stick to like a seven and one. If if you're if you're South Carolina, right? I, like Florida does not consider South Carolina a rival. I guarantee you they don't. Like I think South Carolina probably considers Florida a rival. Maybe if you're South Carolina, okay, we'll go along with this if we can kind of get a little easier on these annual yeah. rivals. Mm-hmm. Unless Florida's like, hey. South Carolina is a dedicated rival of ours. We really need that game on a schedule every year just so they can get that, not automatic dub, but uh, more more often than not, a, a win for the Gators. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think that's um, I think that's that's fairly obviously going, going to happen there. Um, the other thing is, guys, think about all these rules that we're changing in college football. This move is not going to happen until, what do we think, 24 at the earliest, probably yeah. 25? Yeah. Is there any reason why we can't change the standards – for bowl eligibility, ESPN owns more oh, than two thirds of the bowls. <laughs> ESPN literally created the Birmingham Bowl because they needed content for a, a day on January sixth, where they didn't have any programming. Right? Like, if they can create all these bowls, why can't we just create rules and say the bowls can invite whoever the heck they want? I don't want to like dive too too far down here, but when I some of my takeaways from the comments from athletic directors when they talk about we've been told to forget everything, like we might start from scratch. What I hear there is that the media rights partners have been told, hey, think about what is going to allow us to fill up the calendar for December and January and put college football on the biggest stage possible to draw the most amount of viewers. I am willing to consider all changes to postseason formats. I'm willing to consider all changes to the bowl system. I think that the highest levels of leadership are in that no bad ideas brainstorming method when it comes to trying to think about what it's going to look like. Now that we have decided we are not going to be expanding the playoff until the conclusion of the current contract, now there really are back at square one. Like I I am 100% open-minded to the idea that being bowl eligible is going to be an entirely, entirely different 
thing by the time we get to whatever this new version of the postseason is going to be. Maybe it goes to something more like if, like, say all the Power Five conferences and then the Group of Five conferences fall in line. Everybody's playing a nine-game conference schedule. Maybe your conference record is the only thing that counts towards bowl eligibility. Like, if you go four and five or five and four in conference, no matter what you do and out of conference, you can get to a bowl game. And that would also maybe maybe encourage some bigger non-conference matchups since there's no kind of punishment for the loss. Like maybe it helps your resume as far as getting a playoff at large berth, but it's not going to hurt you from being able to play in a bowl game at the end of the season. You know, I, I, uh, I've been following college baseball, which is just a ridiculous uh, like selection committee system right now. They, they have like two ADs from the Power Five and a bunch of like ADs from leagues that only play baseball. But other than that, it's really well designed. Uh, but they do use the they do use the RPI uh, pretty heavily, so maybe you could factor in, you know, maybe qu- like strength. They're, they, like they have that strength of record metric that I know the college ball playoff committee references. I mean, there are some four and eight teams that are much more deserving of a bowl in terms of their quality of performance than are some like seven and five teams that played. You know, nobody's. There's all kinds of things you could do. And to Chip's point, by the way, about throwing everybody else out the window, have you guys been following a lot of these? Uh, you know, new deals have been going on with the NFL. The NFL is talking about playing more wild card weekend playoff games on that Monday, mm-hmm. which means that we could, in theory, be moving the national title game or some of these other bowl games to, uh, to like kind of midweek stuff because the NFL outrates college football pretty frequently. Yeah. So I want to uh, clarification, just make sure my notes are correct. We are out with divisions in the SEC. When we talk 100%. about all, all yeah. this future stuff, it is all with the idea because I know that I've seen some comments uh, in the chat so far and, you know, come subscribe, smash that like button. As we always tell you, uh, the divisions are gone. We can try to align them. And when we say that there are going to be no pods, I've always looked at that as, you know, a little bit of, um, you know, how you define the word pods. The The reason why I say no pods is because we're not going to say this pod plays this pod in this year and then we rotate. It is an entire you have your three permanent opponents and then everything else is going to rotate through so there's not going to be enough consistency across you and all of your three teams because that's not necessarily going to be the three permanent rivals of all of your permanent rivals so we know that no divisions and no pods at least in terms of the way that it's been set up before but the three permanent rivals plus six rotating opponents uh does seem to be the where we're likely going to end up. Does that check out? It can get a little confusing yeah. mm-hmm. with some of the phrasing around this. Yesterday, Sankey said, we are only discussing a singular division model. Right. Like to me, that totally kills the idea of any sort of divisions or pods. It's just protected rivalries. Everybody else rotates so that, you know, Georgia, when they play on the road at Auburn, uh, you know, they're, they're home and they, you know, obviously Florida is always a neutral site game. So Georgia doesn't have something looking like, I don't know, their home schedule will be in Mississippi State, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and, you know, Missouri, right? Like, and plus, you know, an FCS and, and somebody else who's not particularly good. Like, they, they want to get everybody else through because ticket sales and stuff kind of not as important as TV money as we've seen recently discussed many times on the show, but ticket sales do still matter somewhat. And, a lot of these schools want to get the better teams in more often to sell tickets and, and keep those season ticket packages uh, attractive. You know, we're, we're talking about the SEC because the SEC, you know, meetings are going on. But the truth is every single Power Five conference is having these discussions right now about getting rid of divisions and how they can change their schedule with, you know, like Big Ten's got new TV deals coming up. They're trying to figure that out. All the conferences are. 
But so I think that like whatever we're calling it, pods, protected rivalries, crossover opponents, that is probably going to be the norm for every single conference because it's already kind of the norm. It's just now there are divisions. What I'm wondering is if you're the SEC, the Big Ten, the ACC, whoever, would you want to maybe include a clause in this where it's like, these are your three protected rivalries right now. Ten years from now, we'll re-examine them. Maybe that way we could change it. You put a clause in there that everybody's aware of because, as we've seen, rivalries change over time. Some programs like that aren't really considered rivalries start playing these games against each other that kind of create a rivalry between the fan bases. So maybe 10 years from now, South Carolina, like we're talking about South Carolina and Florida. Maybe Florida doesn't see South Carolina as a rivalry right now, but maybe over the next decade, they get caught in a couple games. Spencer Rattler has a couple wins against Florida, really gets things going. We get the Steve Spurrier trophy. Maybe that becomes a genuine rivalry. So for situations like that, if you were running a conference right now, would you consider putting that in? I just think you don't tie your tie your own hands at all, right? Like nobody from the outside is regulating you. Don't put anything in writing that says these are for you know forever, right? Like divisions didn't need to be forever. I mean they they were created in 1992 as a money making venture to be able to play a national or an SEC title game, right? We didn't have divisions before that, uh, so. I think you're exactly right, Tom. Just put. But don't you? Didn't you reconsider. just say? Didn't we all just say? Didn't we agree? The rivalries are rivalries, no matter what their records are. Like Alabama, Tennessee. Alabama's won 15 years in a row. Is that really a rivalry? But I think Tennessee fans still want to see it. You know, like you still want to have that opportunity to try to reverse that rivalry. You know what but, I mean? Yeah. But no, I, 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 I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I think it's probably wise to put something in there just in case you do yeah. want to pump up the schedule a little bit or there's one that feels stale or you just schedule out to complete the cycle like whatever it takes for everyone to get everyone in the home in a way and that's as long as you schedule out and you say this is it like remember the acc put it out to 2036 and they announced the schedule in like 2012 yeah maybe not that (laughs) but like you know something that allows for us to say we have a date for you to play every conference opponent once at home and once away and that's as far as we're going to go um, I think, well, I, Tom, I think there's two things here and I'll get to Kevin's question. First reconsideration of the rivalries is one. You could also just change the order of rotation, mm-hmm. right? If you wanted to, that, like that's another lever they could pull. I, I think Kevin's question here, which is why I want to get rid of the word pods because pods have people think like groupings that are all playing together and you have a pod yeah. champion. Like they're like many divisions. There mm-hmm. will not be pods, right? Nobody's going to be the champion of any pod. The SEC will take the two teams with the best record and match them up at the end of the year. Or the but four teams. Do. Or the eight do. teams. Here's, here's I don't idea. think they're going to do that. Do you? Maybe they will. Uh, but I going, going off Kevin's question, what if, and not just the SEC, but all these conferences that are now having 14 schools or more, what if you take kind of a cue from what happened during the pandemic year where, where schools were scheduling games that week? Now, obviously, it was much easier to do because you didn't have fans coming, so you didn't have to worry about any of that. But what if you build in a week in your season where, like, you're talking about some teams that maybe are concerned about getting to bowl eligibility because now you're playing extra conference games? What if you add, you, you instead of a two-team SEC championship or conference championship, you go to four? So the top four teams are playing a two-round tournament. That first round, the week of the semifinals, the other teams based on seeding in the conference get to play. Like the five would play six, seven would play eight, nine would play 10, and so on. So maybe those schools at the bottom who still need a win to get to a bowl eligibility have another shot to get that win against a team of the same caliber as they are. 
I, think I love it would it be good theory. TV. It would be good TV. The only problem is like the SEC fires coaches more often than anybody else, and so mm-hmm. you'd have end of the year situations where you have a lot of lame duck teams that would just rather go home. So the balls. Play. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I'm curious, right. uh, Bud, your response to the uh, SEC only, you know, playoff, you know, conference eight team, you know, turn whatever you want to call it, their playoff for the conference championship. You don't think there's validity to that? I don't think they'll do it. I, I think it's more of a bluff. Like I think it's just Sankey being kind of chapped that that the expansion didn't go. Uh, the way he wanted, or at least I think it will go the way he wants eventually. But like, I, I don't think it went on the timeline he wanted to. I mean, I could be wrong. Like that, I don't have any inside information there. And it would be a popular TV product, right? But uh, I don't think they're going to go and play like an eight-team SEC playoff. I, I think you know it's, what it I think it's a bluff. Up, you know what I think it sets up for long term is the because you can't have half your teams in a playoff. It doesn't feel like a playoff. I think it opens up the door for expansion, though, for adding more teams. Oh, for the SEC yeah. to add, like grow to yeah. twenty. And, yeah. The one thing here is like one of the great things about the SEC or its business model is that it dominates the sport, but it keeps the sport regional enough. Like with the current playoff format and like the current race to get into the playoff, that people somewhat stay interested across the nation. And the SEC scoops all that money after everybody you know, it up and then fold it. If you go and you make an SEC-only playoff, I do think you run the risk of being a little bit too regional and hyper-regionalizing a sport that is already trending in that direction. And then, great, you can capture every TV in every household in Birmingham and Mobile and, and you know Columbus, Georgia. You still need like people in Portland and Los Angeles and Chicago to tune in. And that's why I think it's a, it's a bluff. I think that you could still have a four-team college football playoff where the SEC championship game becomes an, an SEC playoff, and you could still end up having two SEC teams in the four-team playoff. But the let's see, the sixth-place team in the SEC now gets to get all these quality games at the end of the season where if you want to play your way in, then you've got an opportunity to at least impress the committee in some way. I've always thought that the SEC playoff would not be the end, but that it would send one champion or at least provide the stage or the opportunity for multiple teams to put together that final statement to be able to make then a national playoff uh, against whoever else, you know, however else the college football playoff decides they want to select other teams. Like I, I did not think that necessarily the SEC playoff is the end of the season for SEC teams, but instead just another opportunity to highlight the conference and provide quality wins and a big stage uh, ahead of the opportunity to compete for a national championship. I mean, you cannot call yourself a national champion when you've got a entirely closed uh, SEC product. Oh, you could. You could. The oh, SEC has the they will. They will. <laughs> Tom is right. They will. And then guess what we would say? Oh, the debate rages and we'll have multiple national champions. I don't know why. So I think the the in-conference playoff or whatever you want to call it, you know, crowning your own champion, like in a – because it then does that diminish your opportunity to get two teams in the playoff? I think it increases. Good. I think it increases it. But yeah. at some point, doesn't it diminish that playoff then if only yes. – yeah, because that's what I would worry about if I'm Greg Sankey. Like the SEC championship game this last year, we saw Alabama win, and it doesn't really matter anymore. Like they both got in. I mean, 
you're almost better just stopping at the regular season and saying, take our two best teams because they're not going to pound each other into the ground, you know, and we're probably going to losers probably going to advance still. So I just, I'm curious to know what that will look like. See, I, I, I've talked about this a little already too. I, like, but you were talking about it would be too hyper regionalized if the SEC was just having its own playoff. I think the bigger problem is something that you've touched on before too, where if the SEC is having its own playoff, eventually the teams that are looked at nationally right now as college football playoff contenders are just going to become programs taking losses in the SEC playoff every year who are getting, you know, becoming the second tier of the conference instead of being looked at as a national title contender. So whether that be like a Texas A&M or an LSU who are now, I mean, well, LSU is a bad example because they did just win a national title, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's a lot of teams in the SEC right now. If you're, if you're trying to pick the pick 20 teams that you think can win a national title in 2022, most of them are going to be from the SEC. If you just do pick the teams in the SEC that are, you think can capable of winning the SEC, might be two or three. So I think that's something that long-term that they would have to deal with more than anything. One other words, the point. SEC needs the other conferences, whether it wants to admit it or not. They need those teams to beat once in a while so that way they could feel superior. But they can play those in the regular season, couldn't they, without the playoff? like. Oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking. You're not in bowl games. Right. Like, it's, it's just a the regular month, season opponent. The month of December is the SEC playoff month. But if the SEC starts, if the SEC starts its own playoff in which nobody else is eligible to play, why the hell is any other school going to want to play the SEC during the regular season? What do they have to gain from it? Totally fair. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we're 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 building out, and also everyone else is at nine games. I think, like we mentioned, except for the ACC, the SEC goes to nine games. Then we get uh, a little bit closer to you know looking at the ACC sideways and be like, well, they well, probably they got, there, they'll probably well, follow. If the SEC after their, after their year of what's the year he called it the year of uh, reflection your reflection <laughs> if oh, the ACC yes. if the ACC went to nine games is there any way that could allow them to trigger a new television deal that's no, what I would be thinking they for. they have look in windows they just had one I don't think there was any s- significant revision to it I think the next one is in like five years okay mm. woof sorry. <laughs> yeah, chance. Yeah, they're they're screwed. Um, okay, uh, another little bit coming out of uh, Destin, Florida. I mentioned that Lane Kiffin gave his report that everybody was, you know, playing nice a little bit, you know, showing showing a little bit less teeth when they're all in the room together uh, than when they are all at the the press conferences holding microphones. Nick Saban did have media availability. He said, "quote I didn't say anything wrong." He also said, "I should never have mentioned any individual institutions, and I have no problem with Jimbo at all." Uh, Kirby Smart offered his two cents, saying that you should hear what comes through on the headset. Uh, what you heard was Mickey Mouse. Um, That's true. That is hundred percent true. <laughs> nice, nice little nod right there. Uh, we also had you know Shane Beamer saying that some of the the conversations that spilled out over into. Um, those the Jimbo and Saban back and forth was also some of the closed door frustrations and some of the things that we're hearing from coaches about name, image, and likeness goes all the way back to February once we completed uh, the most recent recruiting cycle. So either uh, Nick Saban's, you know, is he backtracking just a little bit uh, or sort of name, image, and likeness conversations in general that we've had from Destin so far, Uh, anything jump out to y'all? I love the way you started it by saying Saban said he didn't say anything wrong, but he did say he shouldn't have said this. <laughs> well, if you didn't say anything wrong, 
Did it say anything untrue? <laughs> untrue, yeah. yeah. Right? Okay. yeah. I, did you guys, so I was doing HQ yesterday and I saw the exchange with the Tex Ags reporter. I don't know who it was. And he was, I, he pressed him a little bit. He's like, hey, well, can you, he started off with, can you give examples of why Jimbo cheated or something like that? And, and Nick's like, I never said that. And then he was like, well, you know, you said they, do, do you have examples of how they bought oh, every, every player? And I thought Nick wanted to respond. I don't know about you guys. If you saw the video of it, but he was just, he was biting his tongue. He's like, I just can't, I can't go down this yeah. road. And so he quickly st steered it away. But I thought he wanted to, I thought he wanted to get like one last maybe jab in there, but he's like, I got to do the right thing. You know, he's so he had to go to that meeting with Sankey in there. Yeah, he yeah, he's on double secret it. probation. Like, yeah. he's, he's, like <laughs> he's lost his green and his yellow ticker off the board by your name. <laughs> is a, uh, so like if you're Nick, the problem is you're not going to get your hands on that paperwork, right? Like, I mean, it, it, I can't get the hand, like my hands on like an ESPN contract, you know, like to, to, to show, Hey, like CBS, you know, do this. But like, if you're Nick, what's your evidence? It's probably your assistant coach telling you, Hey, this kid who we think is leaning to A&M is saying, this is the number to beat. And if that happens over and over again, you might get the impression that maybe certain schools that are doing really, really well are putting out numbers to beat, or maybe some of their collectives are, which this is how we know it works, right? Like, it's just kind of coming more out into the open now. Like I know being here in Florida, like we all heard what some of the top kids got. And I mean, that was pretty big money. Like one of them that we heard got over a million a year. So I mean, you know, five-star type kid. I'm sure if you're Nick, you're hearing the same things because we're hearing it from some of these, you know, seven on seven coach slash street agents who have sent players to Bama before. So it's not like they're blind to this stuff. Uh, but as far as actual evidence he could cite, I mean, it's the same reason why schools very rarely got caught cheating back when you were just handing kids bags of cash. Where's the evidence? So when you're when you're hearing from these coaches and when they continue to ask for guardrails and oversight and Billy Napier, and this is a an observation by Andy Staples, which I definitely agree with. He said, I can I can track how you're talking about NIL with how many years you think you have left coaching. Billy Napier, like age 42, he's like Players, they, they need they deserve everything they can get. You know, it's really like on the other end of the spectrum that you're like, this is awful. But all the coaches seem to be asking for, you know, we're living in a land with no laws. We need guardrails. We need oversight. As we're continuing to hear these from coaches, do you think that their voices are being heard anywhere? I mean, what's the – I don't think this is the last – the most recent time that all four of us have been together, but as, as the topic continues to bubble beneath the surface all throughout the summer and the offseason – is like what? What are guardrails? What is what is uh, oversight look like in terms of name, image, and likeness? Like temporary ones that get knocked down by the courts, or like stuff that could actually stick. <laughs> well, can't they go after the? Wasn't there something with the task force that they were going to try to go after the school? They can't go after the players. Like that's pretty clear. They can't Correct. deem a player ineligible. But what about finding a coach or finding a school? Millions. You know, does that have any teeth? Where they come in there? I mean, good luck. I, like, right. we, we, we saw a lot of the lawyers that run the collectives come out and be like, please, please but sue they us. Were like, we'll take it in court. We'll set more pressure. But they were more like, if you come after my player, you'll see you in court the next day. And they are cocky. They are arrogant. They are like, you are not beating us. But I do wonder, and that's where I think some of the coaches, like, because why wouldn't Jimbo just be like, yeah, 
we got all our guys. Like we use NIL. Like I Ego think they value. are still concerned about the appearance of hey, this is pay for play. I still think that's why everyone's kind of like it wasn't like why wouldn't you just own it if it's okay? So they, I still think they're worried about possible ramifications, but I don't even think they know what they could be. I don't I, think the coaches are worried about that as much as I think like they don't like the idea that they're not the ones responsible for getting that kid on campus, right? If A&M did buy all those players in their class, and I think A&M did some pretty substantial NIL work to get that class, all right? I don't have any physical evidence of this, but watch. Because that's an inducement. Like, that's all the task force was saying. The task right. force was But the coaches want the credit. The coaches yeah. want the credit for getting these guys. They want to they, they want to make it – like they want to really believe, right, that all of a sudden – you know, or that, that that they're the reason that these kids come. And they're part of the reason. Like, you do have to have a connection with the guy. You got to go visit him. You got to scout him, all this stuff. But, like, did Josh Heupel just go from not one of the better recruiters in the SEC to all of a sudden one of the best recruiters in the SEC? Or did, is Tennessee's collective just doing some great work? You know, like, I mean, the, these coaches, we all know them. I think we're friends with a lot of them. Like, they have huge egos. And they don't want to be told, like, hey, you're not the reason this kid come. It's also part, because some of these guys – probably can't coach worth the damn and they've got a lot of ego and their value is tied to their ability to get kids on campus mm-hmm. and if all of a sudden hey it's really not you it's the check we're going to get more guys who can actually coach and less guys who are just really cool with texting mm. very very i don't know i mean i could be wrong on that they may, they may be scared what? of the inducement and penalties you, and stuff I, but, but i also think like because Saban yesterday, he was talking about, he said, we need to make sure they're actually doing things for these deals and we need to take out the boosters of the picture, uh, you know, to make sure they're not the ones funneling them under the table. College football, man, it's embedded in the, like, even if there are some sort of guardrails that are enforced, the, I mean, it's going to be like everything else in our country where we've come, you know, where marijuana and gambling, like, they're illegal in a lot of states, but even in states that are legal, you still have a bookie that you can go bet with, and you still have a weed guy you can go get your your stash from. I think it'll be the same thing. Even if there are guardrails and this is monitored and everybody's like, ooh, let's, there's still going to be some booster out there or some group that's going to say, hey, you can tell me we can get this guy. We sleep him this much cash. I still think it's going to exist no matter how much we try to get it out of the game. But I, I think that's where I was wrong. I thought NIL, and one of the reasons I was a big proponent of it, I thought it would get all of this out in the open and it would get everything on the up and up and it might level the playing field, but I could not have been more wrong because it's just gone to the you know, the top programs in the country have just continued to outspend everybody else. They still have to win. Yeah. I said they I think it's- still have to go and win football games. You could have the biggest NIL payroll in the country and take that NIL payroll and go nine and three, ten and two. So like they're still there. I love Scott. Huh? Go ahead. I love Scott Reeves' comment here in the chat. That's why their helmets say ATM. That is good. I saw that one the other Texas day. A- Texas ATM. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a good, that'd be a good shirt. Um, yeah, I, I I do think it's created more uh, like a greater variety of teams that are getting players, right? Like A and M was never getting kids like this before NIL became a thing, right? Like I think it will hurt some of the traditional schools that are primarily good just because of geography. And don't have deep pockets, but I think we'll actually see a greater number of teams like getting elite. Brought talent. USC back pretty, pretty quickly. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that the end run is the Big Ten and the SEC were the two premier programs as far as recruiting before NIL, 
and they'll be the two premier programs for recruiting after NIL because they're going to be the two conferences with the most money. Therefore, they're going to have the most money available to spend on players. College football never mm-hmm. changes, even amidst total uh, upheaval of the current system. Uh, speaking of USC, are they a team that's going to arrive a little bit early? Or is that going to be right on time? We have asked this entire group to pick a couple of teams that we think could arrive earlier than expected. We'll get into that next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So this one was a good, good topic to sort of... I get us set for the landscape, the season ahead, maybe even the season after that. We're looking uh, to try and identify teams that could arrive earlier than expected. Now, what does arrive mean? To me, arrive is is meeting or exceeding expectations. To me, arrive means you are at a point and then you have risen uh, your level and you are now one of, you are now a tier above where you were. And for sometimes you just wait and you think that that team is going to arrive and they never do. And then other times you do uh, finally get up and meet those expectations. So we want to identify here uh, in the next little bit uh, some of the teams that we think could arrive earlier than expected. For timeline here, I think we're talking about success in 22 or 23. If we're talking about like in college football now, if you arrive in 24, there's no way that's earlier than expected <laughs> because we got every single coach, every single program on a stopwatch. And uh, I don't think we're dealing with windows that big. Uh Danny, why don't you go ahead and get us started? Who who is uh maybe maybe one of the ones that you feel the strongest about for teams or the most excited about teams that could arrive earlier than expected? Oh man, I had four that I wrote down. One of them you already mentioned, but like I don't I don't want to make feel like this is my bold prediction, right? For the because I do think it has to entail things coming together correctly. I'm trying to decide which one I want to go with first. I'll go with USC since you teased it, since you said it. Um, I think the talent turnaround has been pretty impressive. I think you've, if Caleb Williams is the Caleb Williams that we saw at his best at Oklahoma, Jordan Addison, look at what he did for Kenny Pickett. Cause I do think he was a massive reason why Kenny Pickett had I me mean, 17 touchdowns was a, and that opens up your offense in a completely different way. The defense, I think, is a massive question mark. But then I look at the schedule. So, like, if you arrive, if you're uh, USC, I think arriving is like playoffs. Playoff, agree. And I, but see, that's what I hate the people that predict USC to go to the playoffs. But yet, I can totally see why you could make that prediction. 
Like, I think it's safer to say they'll get there another year, but I think they could arrive right away. Their schedule is manageable. It's not that bad. They got the talent now. I don't don't even like that it's coming out of my mouth, but I think it's one of the teams I look at. You could say, you know what? They could arrive this year. I don't think it's bold. I mean, you know, it's a people business. You're still asking Lincoln Riley and this brand new staff to take all these brand new players, get them all to gel, get them all on the same page. And also, as Bud Elliott has reminded me many times, a defense that has not gotten the same influx of transfer talent. I mean, the entire wide receiver room has been reloaded and even improved from a pretty good wide receiver room. You got one of the best running backs in the Pac-12 to come from Oregon to USC in Travis Dye. You've got Caleb Williams, somebody who could be one of the best quarterbacks in the entire country. And you've got one of the great offensive minds in Lincoln Riley. But they still got to go and do it. So I'm, I'm with you, Danny. What does arrive mean? It means making the playoffs. It is more sensible to say that USC makes the playoffs in 23 or 24, I think it is a it can qualify as a bold prediction to say that USC will make the playoffs uh, in 22, but I also don't think it's crazy and definitely a team that we should be looking at as one that could uh, already make that splash here in year one, which would be tremendous in terms of the you know what it would represent for college football because Lincoln Riley's move from Oklahoma to USC was just a tidal wave across the entire sport. That I think that uh, not that ev- not that everybody was shocked or stunned. You you may have been, but we just aren't used to seeing the head coach of Oklahoma up and leaving to go to another blue blood program like that. Then for him to take advantage of freedom of movement, the transfer portal, and all of these modern innovations to how you build a roster and to be able to do that with name, image, and likeness as well. Shout out to uh, Jordan Addison's deal. Uh, you have potentially the modern turnaround right there in Los Angeles, a place that needs to be able to get USC going again. I absolutely agree with you. They are a team that could arrive earlier than expected. And I think they're one of you predicted like when we're picking win totals, nine, nine, nine and a half. You going over? Yes. No. See, I don't know if I am either. I think it might take a year, but I think it's a team you could absolutely see coming earlier. They're on my list. Yeah. Like I thought I think I had like five and like, they're definitely one. Like I think you circle them as a, uh, potential or even likely playoff team in 23. If they get right. there in 22, to me, that, that's definitely arriving early. So they're on all three of your lists? Yes. Yeah. Not not on mine. You guys are, because of the defense? You guys are basic as hell. Yeah, <laughs> it is a basic. It is very yeah. basic. I'll give I'm that. Thinking, I'm thinking outside the box. All right, I'm going to another Pac-12 team. Oregon. Washington. I'll have it. Okay. Because, like, if you look at this program over the last few years, like, obviously, the Jimmy Lake situation and everything that was going on there was just a mess. And it was a huge distraction for the team. But, like, defensively, they were still very good. It was offensively. They were so conservative and just, like, Cro-Magnon that they were shooting themselves in the foot time after time. I think DeBoer comes in. Your defense is probably going to drop off a little bit. But the offense should take a significant step forward just simply because I feel like it's going to be trying to score points, which at times the last couple of years, I wasn't sure that was Washington's primary goal when it had the ball. So I think that so then you look around the rest of that division. I think Dan Lanning is going to do a good job at Oregon, but I think it's the first year. And I think that there's still there's still question marks about that program this year where I don't know for sure. I think they're the favorite in the Pac-12 North, but I don't think they're a runaway favorite by any stretch of the imagination. Stanford. 
I think they might have a bounce back here, but how big is that bounce? Wazoo's got questions. Cal's got questions. Oregon State, I think, is going to be good. But if you look at Washington's schedule, like it's a tough, I will say right off the bat, like in a vacuum, Kent State at home might not seem like a tough non-conference game, but I think in the very first game of the year under a new coach going up against a team that has that kind of identity on offense, that could provide some problems for them. I think that they should win that game, but that's tricky. Then they get Portland State, and they get another tough home game against Michigan State. So the non-con might start off poorly. But once they get into conference play, Stanford at UCLA, at Arizona State, which is probably not going to be great, Arizona at Cal, Oregon State at home, Oregon on the road. That's going to be the biggest game. But then you also get Colorado and at Wazoo to finish the year. Like that is not, Ooh. as far as Pac-12 schedule goes, that is not a murderer's row of opponents that you're playing. You don't have to play USC. You don't have to play Utah. So like, I think this is a Washington team that maybe, I don't know if you guys would consider winning the division being ahead of schedule. If that's where you're going, maybe not. But I think this is a team that could win eight or nine games this year. No more divisions. Pac-12 scrapped scrapped them this year. Forgot, yeah. So they're not going to get – I don't think they're going to get to the Pac-12 championship, but I think this is a team that can win eight or nine games, which I think would put them ahead of schedule for what people are expecting in this season. Playing Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State, plus Stanford and Cal, Mm -hmm. is a really big advantage. I mean, I I think if you circle it, like, we would all agree those are probably the bottom five teams in in the Pac-12. Be fighting for it for sure. That Kent State game is interesting, too, by the way. Like, Kent State defensively, I don't really think will put up much of a fight against most teams, but they're going to put up some points against almost everybody. And if Washington is merely like, if they have an intent to score, but like they don't have it all figured Uh, out yet. Is Jake Hayner on that roster? That man does not have. Oh, he's not? No. Remember, he was going to go and he went back. I was, that's what I was going to say. I might be able to buy in it if Jay Kaner had gone, which was weird because it felt like it was a done deal. And then he decided to go back to Fresno State. So I think the quarterback is a massive question, but you know where quarterback is not a question. Well, they do have Michael Penix, though. So he's going to be able to. (laughs) That's your favorite quarterback. Is not your favorite guy in in Oregon or Bo Nix, who Kirby Smart, one of the best athletes he's ever seen? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Once they they just have to survive that game without injury. I think Oregon, I think he inherited a pretty good roster. Yeah. You know, and it's a pretty good culture. Like they're used to winning. I think he could bring a toughness and mentality on the defensive side of the ball that's been desperately needed there. I think Oregon's a, a could arrive faster than expected, but what does that entail? Is that a Pac-12 championship again? Like is is what yeah, what yeah, you're early? a Pac-12 champion? Yeah, you, you're not necessarily playing even if it's ten and two. That's still yeah. an arrive early for Dan Lanning and the Oregon Ducks. Yeah, I My, think if if you get to. Like, obviously, they've won the Pac-12, what, three of the last four years. So it's <laughs> it's hard to say, you know, you're arriving. But with a coaching change in his first year, I think that getting to the Pac-12 championship would probably be, all right, you're arriving a year out of schedule. Because I don't know if Dan Lanning is stepping in as a first-time head coach where it's like your expectations for them should be Pac-12 champion. I think winning. Are they the favorites? To the win? Pac-12? No, no. Yeah, he's no, the favorite. Uh it's close though. I'm pretty sure the betting favorite is is Oregon. Well, I don't think I would bet that. I don't, <laughs> I'm willing to say they could arrive early if we're defining early as win the Pac-12. But now, okay, it looks like it looks like it's split. Uh, okay. One of the other books, yeah, has USC more. So I'm I'm wrong on that. Tom is right. 
Who do you guys think? So I think a team that arrives, I think the definition of this team is last year's Ole Miss team. Like arriving, they were 10 win, double-digit wins. and they, they still got blown out by Bama, but that, like, that's okay. Like the expectation was, okay, program history, like, you know, double-digit wins. Who are the candidates to be there? I have two. You guys have any? Well, and I the, think there's one really couple. obvious one. The other team I had in mind was the team they played in the Sugar Bowl, Baylor. That was a, a huge arrive early team. And it was yeah. so funny because I, w- I was trying to go, I went conference by conference for this one. And I don't think there's, a, there's only one team in the Big 12 that I would mention. And I don't even have that much confidence in it because Texas arriving early. Nah, you're arriving late, bro. You better arrive. Oklahoma arriving early. You know, you really can only disappoint at Oklahoma. Oklahoma State and Baylor were playing for the Big 12 championship last year. We got four teams out of the 10 team conference that you've kind of already ruled out. The only team that I would even like sniff at would be TCU where just something about Sonny Dykes comes in, gets the offense rolling, and TCU is able to you know, catch fire, win a couple close games, and, and find itself playing for a Big 12 championship again. That would be arriving early. That was the only one that I had considered in the Big 12 other than that because so much of the conference has kind of already arrived or has the expectation to be in the mix already. So when I when I put this in the doc uh, for like the offseason ideas, the the team I had in mind was actually 2013 Florida State. So 2012 FSU goes 12 and two. They they play in the Orange Bowl. They lost a bunch of players off that team. Everybody until I asked, he pointed to 2014. They're like, all right, this Jameis kid might be pretty good at, after having another year under his belt. Like they're really excited about this Jalen Ramsey guy. They just signed. He'll be a true freshman in 2013. Like they knew that 2013 team would be talented, and then everybody stayed fully healthy. Like almost all 22 guys played every game and they everybody clicked. Like, so that's kind of what I think. Like, hey, teams that I have circled for 23, but if everything goes right, could they do it in 22? You know, like I think Texas has to be, I agree with you on TCU chip, but I think Texas has to be circled here because after you get past that Bama game, and if everything clicks offensively, and, and I mean, one of the questions I would have here is the offensive line. They just signed the best offensive line class in the country, but they'll all be true freshman. If one or two of those guys steps up and could take starting gigs and play well in the Big 12, a league which, by the way, does not send defensive linemen to the league. So I think it's more doable in the Big 12 than it is in any of the other leagues uh, to play true freshman on the offensive line. Um, you have to look at Texas there. Right, Quinn Ewers and you know I, Isaiah and Worthy and all those weapons they have and Bajon Robinson, can they score 45 a game and play for the Big 12 title game? Like That team would be arriving early. I think I think I have Texas circled for twenty three because it'd be Quinn's yeah. money year, um, and staying in the state of Texas, I think the Aggies too. I think everybody has the Aggies circled in twenty three. Bryce Young's gone from Bama, like it's either going to be Haynes King or, uh, or 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 Johnson. We'll figure out who it is. They just signed the number one overall recruiting class. That team will be sophomores, or that class will be sophomores in twenty three. And yet, I think there's a good amount of talent on that team already. So, like maybe it's. I mean, they're a hard one to pick because Bama's in that division, but maybe they're a an eleven and one non division champion that makes the playoff or something like that. That's not insane to think. I don't think it's going to happen, but I had them and then uh, I have Penn State. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that's yeah, the Florida okay. State example that I've got on mine. Right. Where like, yeah, we are looking at Penn State as a twenty three team. We get the full quarterback transition. Some of these really highly ranked recruiting classes starting to become sophomores and juniors. But what if what if Penn State takes down Ohio State? Is able to win the 
yeah, Big Ten is still going to do divisions this year, right? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Take down Ohio State, find a way to win the division, get to the Big Ten championship game, win that, contend for a college football playoff. That hundred that is a team that I think uh, certainly has the talent. And the only reason why I would not be betting or picking Penn State to win the division is because of the presence of the absolute juggernaut of the Ohio State Buckeyes, who I think I'm going to go even further. They get off the bus this year and score 45. Forget 40. We're going all the way. Buckeyes get off the bus and they score 45 this year. But if Penn State wins that game, that is one where based on the recruiting success, the potential of a changeover at quarterback or Sean Clifford just exceeding all expectations, uh, I think that Penn State's one that you got to look at to potentially arrive early. Also on my list, yes. I, I wrote, I did had to do Big Ten title odds for CBSSports.com this week. It went up yesterday, and you can read it there. Uh, and I did, I chose the best bet was Ohio State, but I chose Penn State as a value bet for a lot of the same reasons. I think that you just went over as for why they can arrive early, because I think that with Drew Lahr in the wings, there's always kind of that break glass in case of emergency kind of factor, which sometimes helps teams. But I really do think, like, I also mentioned Sean Clifford as one of those guys who could be the Kenny Pickett of 2022 in that he's got plenty of experience and maybe now he finally has the breakthrough season because this is the first time in his college career since he came to Penn State that he will have the same offensive coordinator for the second consecutive season and be playing in the same offense. And I think that they lose Jahan Dotson, they lose Arnold Ebikidi, they lose a couple key guys, but I think Transfer Portal, they didn't add a bunch of guys, but they did hit on guys who I think can step in and fill in and play important roles for them right away, which I think is important. And I think that this is a team that you mentioned the schedule they get Ohio State at home. They get Michigan State at home. They do have to go on the road for Ann Arbor, but that is off of a bye. So at least they get the extra week to prepare. And if you look at their cross-division rival games, they get at Purdue to open, then they get Northwestern at home, and then they get Minnesota at home later in the year. Now, no disrespect to Minnesota and Purdue fans who will argue that they are contenders for the Big Ten West this year, and they might be. But if you're getting a cross-division rival from the West and you're avoiding Wisconsin and Iowa, I think you're happy with that. I would agree. Uh, who else? I've got a one like super deep, cheeky sleeper. Um, who else is on the everybody's list? Have we covered most of them? I've got Back. two more. All right, let's hear it. Uh, Virginia Tech. Ooh, that would be earlier oh. than expected. I think not. Not competing for the, not winning the ACC, but I think that being a serious, at least late into the season contender to win the division and maybe get to the ACC championship. I just look at that team and I feel like there was so much off the field distraction of Fuente being on the hot seat that feeling like it was just kind of a done deal. I think that maybe with Brent Pry coming in and kind of bringing in more of that traditional kind of Beamer kind of culture from being from that same kind of you know background into the program, which is what I think Virginia Tech is at its core, just kind of the energy and the electricity from that could maybe push them forward to like an eight and four kind of nine and three season, which I think would be a, you know, kind of, I think most people probably aren't anticipating until next year at the earliest, but I think that I I wouldn't be shocked if the Hokies take a quick step forward in year one. Yeah. I I could see some scenarios where, where Tech wins like eight games and somehow tiebreakers that, you know, works out for, the division i think it makes sense i mean especially i'm, I'm pretty down on like a lot of the coastal this year i think yeah, it might be the worst coastal we've had in a long time bottom line yeah, and their conference schedule isn't a bear either like you look they're not playing clemson they're not playing florida state they're not playing a lot of, you know it's their non-conference is at old dominion wofford 
a home game against West Virginia, which I think is winnable for them at Virginia Tech. And then late in the year, they play at Liberty. And God knows what Liberty is going to be without Malik Willis this year. And then they've got in conference, they got BC at UNC, at Pitt, Miami, at NC State, Georgia Tech, Duke, Virginia. These are all mostly, there's no like gimmies, and they're not going to be favored in all those games. But as you go through it, you can't really find a game where you're saying, oh, they've got no shot in hell. So I don't know if this, I agree with that. And I'm, that would be arriving early. I am like buying the long Brent Pry stock with like what he might be able to be for that program. If he could do it immediately, that would be uh, very, very, very exciting. I don't know if this team is even going to be eligible for a bowl game. I try to do some quick research real quick. Give me James Madison as a team to land in the Sun Belt and make a splash right off the bat. 33-5 and five in their last three seasons. Championship culture. Uh, I think that James Madison from like, I, I have not run uh, or looked at James Madison's power ratings uh, for where they land, but I got to think that they could jump into the Sun Belt and easily be in the middle tier right away. And if they, you know, win a couple games against some of the, the teams at the top of that Sun Belt, give me, give me JMU as a, uh, a team that could arrive earlier than expected, literally as they arrive uh, in the door at the FBS level. I, Two more. Uh, and I agree with you on James Madison, I think, but I need to do more, more digging Sun on that. Belt is going to be so fun. So it much is. fun. That's, the, that's my favorite Georgia, group of five conference right now. Georgia State, I think. Uh, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, Frisky last year. I like it. All right, Michigan, if the, like, I'll, I'll, put, I'll put Michigan and, and North Carolina here. If the young five star QBs improve more this year than we think they will, like, I think both those teams in 23 should be pretty damn good. If one of those teams has that five-star quarterback step up and play like a five-star and take that job, but you know, I'm not saying it will happen. I'm just think like the, these are kind of the ways that teams arrive here early. It's like the young stud plays a little bit better than everybody thinks and takes that job. Um, I would have both of them. Also, can we do two shout-outs? Sure. All right, shout-out number one to our fans. May was the first time that we've ever done uh, that kind of number in an off-season month. It was actually as good as some some season months. Though. So that was uh, crazy. Thank you all for liking, subscribing, downloading, giving us five-star reviews on iTunes. And thanks to a pitcher list for sending sending me this McClana fan shirt for Shane McClanahan. I'm, I'm a big <laughs> McClanahan fan. And, uh, yeah, pitcher list on Twitter. Cool follow for baseball. Going, going back list? to Michigan, though. Pitcher list, yeah. Sorry. One nit to pick with Michigan. How can they arrive when they were in the playoff last year? So it's a fair thing. My thought was like, ar- like ar- arriving earlier than expected, right? Because you're like, expecting like, them like, to take a step back. Correct. Yeah, and I right. think they'll be really good in 23 again because Stroud will be gone in 23. Like that's one of the reasons we're all, we're all circling non-Ohio State teams in 23 mm-hmm. is because CJ is going to be in the NFL. The um the North Carolina side of it, my. My thought is I would not be surprised if we see uh, both Drake May and Jacoby Triswell play a lot together, that Mac Brown goes to quarterbacks and just sort of, you know, it, has, hasn't Mac done that a lot? Mm-hmm. Like when he hasn't had a McCoy or when he hasn't had a Vince Young, he's been more than happy to, you know, let, let the competition spill over, you know, do a couple series here and there. I think that they're both, they both have very, very high floors. I think May has the higher ceiling, but whether he's ready to do that right away is definitely up for debate. And because of the coastal, like North Carolina's not a sleeper team, 
But I, I do think that Sam Howell is going to leave, but I don't think they're going to take a huge step back this season. So I don't, I don't hate with that. Uh, Homer. Pick. Yeah, Homer. Total Homer. Homer. Danny, Wait. do you have any left? Um, I had one. I don't, I don't know if they're arriving too. early though. I mean, I guess when you look at uh, what the collective is doing down the road, but Tennessee, they're trendy though. I think people are picking him already as like a target, but I think when you talk about Ole Miss, like if you look at Ole Miss two years ago, ton of offense, not much defense. If you could just get a little bit better defensively, you get some wins. Um, Florida with turnover a coach. LSU's on the schedule. Like I see some in Brian Kelly's first year. Like I see some winnable games where you could possibly get to nine wins regular season, maybe a tenth in a bowl if you're Tennessee on the upside. And That's I like so Hennon Hooker a lot, but like I'm already expecting it, so I don't know if it's arrive early or not. I'm so happy you said Tennessee because it plays right into my hands for the last team on my list, which is Florida. Because I think Tennessee is too popular. I think that people yeah. are looking at it for the season it had last year, and I understand, but like they scored a bunch of points. Their offense was really fun. They were still very bad defensively. Like they, they did so it's I, I don't unless that team takes a significant step forward defensively, I, I don't think we can rely on them to take a step forward instead of just being what they were last year, which is like a seven and five, maybe eight and four team. I look at Florida with Billy Dapier coming in, and the only problem with Dan Mullen really was that he wasn't recruiting, and that's a big, big problem. But I think that Napier comes in, and like Mullen, he's a good in-game coach. I think he's just a very good football coach. I think he's a more dedicated recruiter than Mullen ever was, which is why I think he's going to be big for them. But I don't think Florida was a bad football team last year. I think Florida had a bad situation at quarterback, and I think that Florida had a bad situation on the sidelines and off the field with all those distractions. But I think with a unifying kind of voice and a, a locked-in you know, locker room culture, kind of everybody pulling in the same direction again this year, I think that this is a Florida team that could probably still be the second-best team in the East. I don't think they're beating Georgia, but I just see a lot of people talking about Tennessee and Kentucky as two teams that could finish second in the East, whereas Florida's getting kind of pushed to the side. I think Florida's going to finish second in the East, or at the very worst, tied for second in the East. I like. I think it. that's a perfect. That's a perfect pick for this thing. Yeah, like we all think they're going to be good in twenty three. Unless you think AR fifteen is going to go to the draft after this year, which mm-hmm. I, I think he's kind of more. I'm like I'm long on him. Um, my two questions with Florida, which shout out Jacob Rudner of Swamp twenty four seven for coming on the summer school series. Guys, I think they have real problems at defensive tackle, like really bad situation there. They got a couple guys that like people I know just don't think they, they just think they can't play. Like they got one dude in Dexter, and they had some bad misses in the transfer portal that they on guys they, they thought they were going to get, and they didn't pull. And I'm not really sure that receivers scare people. I have a little more, little more hope that somebody at receiver emerges. I like that's a hard league to be borderline bad at D tackle depth wise. Well, yeah, I think arriving early, bad. arriving early also falls into the Florida, like Florida State. Like if Stay everyone's healthy. healthy. Yeah, yeah, if Florida stays 100% healthy, then solo second in the SEC East is not unthinkable, certainly. Right. So. I mean, they took last year, they took Alabama to the wire with Emory Jones. Like yeah. and they were they were neck and neck with Georgia before, you know, Anthony Richardson has two costly turnovers and the game's done. Like I think that's I think it's pretty I think it's a good one, Tom. I'm mad I should have given that one instead of Tennessee. 
That was uh, a really good one. Tom Tom held his his uh, his, his yeah his ace in the hole. Very, very <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, we are going to be back on Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time for another edition of the Mailbag. If you want to add a question to a future Mailbag episode, the best way to do that is leave a five star review, and in that review, put your Mailbag question. We'll throw it into the big old bag of mail. You can't. Follow him on Twitter at Tom Fernelli. You can follow him at Danny Canell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. For drag queens to save the world. world. RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars is back on Paramount Plus, and for the first time ever, I want you to use your talent for good for a change. (laughs) Eight iconic queens are competing for the charity of their choice. This is how you do drag. Who will slay it forward, win cash for their favorite cause, and a coveted spot in the Drag Race Hall of Fame? RuPaul's Drag Race All Stars. New season streaming May 17th exclusively on Paramount Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.